All right, so I was uh, in college, I interned at a youth ministry, and the youth pastor for this youth ministry that I interned under, I had, this is a huge church, so there, I had the seventh graders, lucky me, and uh, no, I actually think seventh graders are awesome, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but I had seventh graders, and uh, I was under this, this youth pastor, and it was my senior year, I had worked at this church um, in various roles, but now I was an intern um, during my whole college life, and, and so it was my senior year, and I, now I was an official intern, right? And so it was going to be awesome, but a month in, September, this youth pastor, who, who I loved and, and uh, looked up to, just disappeared, like just, just gone. Um, he resigned from his job, and I, I didn't know why, and they weren't telling us why. Just gone. And I didn't find out why until recently. And, and the point isn't why. The point is this, though. This guy had a sizable gap between his public life and his private life. Publicly, he looked put together and godly, and to an extent was... But privately, he was struggling immensely. And so I'm sure you, you know stories of this happening, maybe from some public figure or maybe someone a little more personal to you. So if you don't mind sharing at your table now, how have you seen the gap between someone's public life and private life ruin their life? Why don't you share about that? Chapter 11 today, Luke 11, verse 37, Luke eleven thirty-seven. 37, Jesus' point in this scripture that we're looking at today is what we just talked about. His point is this, that we need to close the gap between our public and private life. So let me show you, Luke eleven thirty-seven, reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. As he, Jesus, was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. So here's the scene. This is after Jesus got done giving this, this speech about good and evil and the importance of our thoughts, the, the eye of the body, which we looked at last week. And then a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, is like, hey, Jesus, come on over for supper. So Jesus comes over for, for a meal. And this, this Pharisee is there, and he's the one who invited him. And a Pharisee, they were, they were religious leaders, but here's what they did. They added more restrictions and laws to the actual Jewish laws, the Old Testament laws from God. And so people didn't like these guys. 
because they were super restrictive and their, their, their additional laws were rather suffocating for people. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't wash his hands. <gasps> okay, but here's, here's the thing. This is, this is pre-COVID, right? <laughs> but it's not just pre-COVID, it's pre-modern medicine. So it wasn't even a thing to wash your hands as a, as a cleansing thing. That, people didn't even know that that would be helpful before having a meal. This was a ritual thing. This is, this is one of those rules, one of those Jewish traditions that they believed that if they washed their hands before a meal, it was sim- symbolic of them washing off worldly and evil filth that they had come into contact with that day. And so there's no command in God's law in the Old Testament that they had to do this. This was a rule added by the Pharisees. And the Pharisee watches Jesus come in, sit down, It's like, let's eat. And he is appalled. He is amazed that Jesus did not wash his hands. Now, he doesn't say anything, or at least that we know of. Maybe he did some passive-aggressive, you know, <clears throat> you know. But I, I think he did nothing. It's, it doesn't say he did anything. I think Jesus, as he often does, just knew his thoughts. He knows this guy's thoughts. And so in verse 39... The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and evil. He starts to go at this guy. He he lets him have it. Why? I I want you to notice here, in this scripture, Jesus actually saves his sternest, harshest critiques while he was here on earth, not for sinners, the people in society that were really looked down on because they were tax collectors, which, you know, we still kind of do that perhaps, but uh, tax collectors or, or drunks or prostitutes or whatever, like these, these lowly people in society, those weren't the people Jesus is calling out. It's the hypocrites, the fake followers. The people whose public and private life had a massive gap. People who said, I love you, God, but actually just loved what they got from God, which means they just loved themselves. And so Jesus says to him, guys, hello. All you care about is how you look, your public persona, the outside of the cup. But what actually matters is what you are inwardly, your private life. The inside of the cup. And when you do stuff like giving to the poor, he uses as an example here, you need to do it because you love God and you love these people on the inside. Stop stop giving to the poor and washing your hands before a meal just to look good in front of other people. He's saying close the gap between your public and private life. And if you jump down a few verses to 12 verse 1, he reiterates his point. He gets done with this meal. And he moves on and says, Meanwhile, 12 verse 1, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. And he began to say to his disciples, First, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He makes his point very clear here. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't let hypocrisy like leaven in dough sneak into your life. And my favorite commentary on the book of Luke by Leon Morris says this, Leaven 
speaks of a penetration that is slow, insidious, and constant. Slow, insidious, and constant. Jesus is saying, if you let hypocrisy into your life just a little bit, like these Pharisees, slowly, insidiously, and constantly, it's going to destroy your life. Close the gap between your public and private life. So let's back up a little bit. Let's go back to 11, verse 42. We're going to look at specific instances now. Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy or their gap between their public and private life. And first, he goes after their service to God. 11:42. he says, But woe to you, Pharisees! You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. Now this is a term that when we hear it in English, it sounds more like, woe to you. It sounds more cruel, pointed finger, but it's actually more of a term that's like shaking your head with disappointment and going, oh, Pharisees, I wish you would get it right. You were so close, but you just missed it. So think of that as we read this, because he's going to say this a lot. It's, it's, it's less aggressive, and it's more just like, guys, what are you doing? He's disappointed, and he says, woe to you. You give a tenth of all of this stuff, but bypass justice and love for God. Publicly, they were extravagant in their service to God. They, they gave their whole lives to serving God as a Pharisee, but then they also gave a tenth of everything to God, including their herbs. And Jesus uses this very purposely because herbs, you know, not that big a deal. But they even gave a tenth of their herbs. And even rue, it says as one of them. Most of us, you know, what, what is rue? Um, here's what you need to know about rue. It was an herb that wasn't required even by the Pharisees' extra book, there was a book, several books actually, one of them called the Mishnah. And this one was a book that they added to the Bible to say, hey, to the Old Testament laws to say, hey, here's, here's specifically how we're supposed to live this out. And so the Mishnah didn't even require you to tithe or to give 10% on rue, but they're even doing that. So these guys are really extravagant in their service to God, at least on the outside. But privately, they actually had a pretty bare minimum approach to serving God. They were ever so careful to give 10% of even their herbs, but when it came to advocate, advocating for justice, for the marginalized, for the poor, for the downcast, nope, we're out. When it came to really loving God and having a relationship with God, no, we're out. They majored on the minors. Privately, they only served God to publicly appear godly when inwardly they didn't actually care about God and they didn't care about others. So Jesus is saying, hey, you need to close the gap between your public and private life. And if we talk about us today, when we serve God, we need to do the same. Do we, do we give our money to the church, which praise God that, that we're where we're at as a church, as Stacy reported earlier. That is amazing. But when we give our money to the church or to God, do we do it so we feel better about ourselves? 
Or do we give our money to God because we love it? And then on top of that, if we're blessed enough, we look around and find other ways financially to love and serve other people and serve God. Do we serve God on, on worship team here, maybe? Or in D6 children's mini ministry, or maybe you're a youth leader, or whatever, and are you doing it to publicly look godly to other people? Or because you genuinely want to use your talents and gifts to serve God because you really love God? We need to close the gap in our serving God. And, and he moves on, verse 43, we need to close the gap in serving other people. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You're like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. He's essentially asking them, hey, why do you serve other people? Do you do it for attention or do you do it from compassion? Do you do it for attention or from compassion? For attention from other people or from compassion that you actually have from deep inside for other people? Do you publicly serve others to look like you have compassion for other people but privately only want attention from them? And Jesus gives another warning in verse 44. You're like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. He's saying you guys are, you, you have attention-seeking motives that are so deceptive because, see, what you have to understand is walking over unmarked graves made someone ceremonially unclean and defiled. And so he's saying you guys are serving others just to get their attention and affirmation and these people are being deceived and being led astray by you without even knowing it. You're like unmarked graves. You're defiling people and they don't even realize it. You're not only stealing others' attention and affection, you're doing it and they don't even know it. You're manipulating them. So close the gap between your public and private life when you serve other people. And then he moves on in verse 45 and says, hey, you need to close the gap in your leadership, in leading people. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, woe also to you experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Now we have a different group of people. These are experts in the law. Their whole job was to study God's law in the Old Testament. And these guys jump in and go, hey, Jesus, don't you realize you're insulting us too? And Jesus, without missing a beat, goes, yep, I realize it. And here's some more. Verse 46. Woe also to you experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you, you yourselves don't even touch these burdens with one of your fingers. These guys wrote these books that I was talking about earlier that were intended, I think, originally to help people obey God's law, but it actually, they used them just to make black and white rules for people, and then they even created loopholes so that they wouldn't have to follow them. So let me give you an example from one of these books. One of these books is called Shabbat, and in chapter 10, it says that you cannot carry any burdens on the Sabbath. 
So on the day that we worship God, it'd be like today for us, Sunday, you can't carry any burdens with your hands or your shoulders. Well, they also added in this book, as kind of like a, a, a footnote, but you could carry it with your foot. You could carry burdens with your elbow or your mouth or the back of your hand. Loopholes. So these guys are like, you, you can't carry anything today. Hey, stop carrying stuff. And then they would be like, well, I need to carry this, so I'm going to pick it up with my teeth or I'm going to put it on the back of my hand. They had these loopholes. Then they missed the whole heart of it. The heart of it was that day we're not going to work so that we can rest in the arms of God, so we can rest and worship God. But they found ways, no, we're still going to work, but we're going to get around the rules. Publicly, they looked like they were leading others responsibly to obey God's laws, but privately, inwardly, they were just creating loopholes. And they were doing it so they could be lazy while other people struggled close the gap between your public and private life in leading others. Now, verse 47, he moves on to honoring others. Then he closed the gap as we honor other people. Verse 47, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. What's going on here? The publicly... They were leaders of God's people and they looked like they were being respectful by building these tombs for these prophets. They were honoring these guys. But inwardly, why were they honoring them? Privately, inwardly, they were leaders of God's people but they were actually just trying to cover up their own dishonor. Maybe if I honor these guys who our ancestors actually killed, these people won't notice that we are just like those killers. We're fakes. We're frauds. But we're going to cover it up by going, oh, yeah, Zechariah, he was amazing. Able. They, these were amazing people. Look at our monuments to them. But inwardly, they're trying to cover their own shame, their own dishonor. They honored others publicly as a cover-up for their own dishonorable lives. Jesus is saying you need to close the gap between your public and private life and honoring people and honoring others. Honor those who have gone before you because they're worth honoring. Not to divert people's attention away from your own mistakes. And lastly, verse 52, he calls them to close the gap between their public and private life and their teaching of other people. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key of knowledge, and you didn't go in yourselves, and you hinder those who are trying to go in. These experts in the law limited their own and other people's understanding of God by trying to control and manipulate their relationship with God with additional rules. 
See, this gave them leverage over the people. Control. Publicly, they appeared like they were helping other people with their teaching, but privately, they were just trying to control them by hindering and limiting their relationship with God. So teachers of the law here, and you could extend this, teachers of the Bible now, myself included, and teachers actually of any kind now, if you are a teacher in any capacity, our goal, if we are a good teacher, is not to limit people's learning and understanding of the subject that we're teaching. It's the opposite. Our goal is to actually give them tools and keys to unleash greater understanding of the subject. And the subject being here, God. Jesus is saying you need to close the gap between your public and private life as you teach other people. See, we're all teaching people things. You you all have influence on other people. Whether overtly or more behind the scenes or more or more uh, more kind of subtly, you are teaching and leading other people. You have influence on other people you don't even realize. And Jesus is saying, as you teach people, as you lead people, realize that you, you have weight. See, we are, we are teaching them. Are you teaching them restrictively to control them selfishly? Or are you teaching them to actually help them grow and fly on their own? So I want to just give you a minute now, and I know this is calling you to open up a little bit, but I think y'all are up for it. So I want you to share at your table about a time that you served God or other people for a selfish reason. Okay? I'm sure you've done it. Positive we've all done it. A time that you served God or other people for selfish motives. Because that's what Jesus is talking about in a nutshell and everything we, I just described to you. So, discuss. So, if you point your attention to uh, Luke eleven fifty three, Jesus gets done and here's their reaction. These Pharisees, when he left there, The scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying and wait for him to trap him in something he said. Interesting. So the big question posed to the Pharisees and to us is, are we going to work on closing the gap between our public and private life? And after Jesus says this, these Pharisees, these lawyers had a choice. They could deal with their gap between their public and private life, or they could deny it. And they chose to dig their heels in and categorically deny the gap between their public and private life. I mean, they made it their mission to go after Jesus. He was kind of their enemy before, but now we don't want to deal with this, with the stuff he just said, so we're going after him. And in so doing, they gain the whole world, forfeit their souls. But here's what's true. Dealing with, instead of denying the gap between our public and private life, is actually the pathway to peace, joy. It's the path of Jesus. Why though? Why should we do this? Look again at 12 verse 1. 
Meanwhile, a crowd, many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. And he began to say to his disciples, first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Look at this, verse 2. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Why close the gap? Jesus says here, basically, God sees it all. You can live a lie before other people, but you can't live a lie before God. And that's what he's saying here. All of your private intentions and motives are already known by God. And one day, they'll all be exposed by God. Look at this, Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's tough. You know, my first answer to the question I just asked you guys, how am I a hypocrite? It's it's way more insidious and every day than I thought. I'll just admit to you, sometimes, probably more than once a day, I serve my kids with terrible motives. This morning, I got them breakfast so I could have some time to read over here quietly. I mean, I I wasn't doing that because I loved them and wanted to give them some breakfast because I really want to help them out and cherish that, you know. I mean, it's, it's really insidious. We do this with our spouses. We do this in relationships all the time. What can I get out of it, you know? But God sees it all. He knows it all. And here's the thing. God's, while he isn't fooled or surprised by the gaps in our public and private life, get this, okay? He's not scared of it. That's what's amazing to me. This is the amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ. He knows all of it. He sees all of the junk, all of our terrible motives, and still calls us his children. He still loves us. He still loves you the same as he did yesterday, as he will tomorrow. He still welcomes you into his arms the same, and he wants to help you close the gap between your public and private life. And he gave us the Holy Spirit Often, just given the name in the New Testament, the helper. Why? To help us. To help us close the gap between our public and private life. Not throw us in God jail for for having that gap. No. These Pharisees denied the gap between their public and private life because they were scared and they were caught. What will God do to me? What will God do if I actually own this and deal with it? What will others say about me if I actually own it and deal with it? And we ask ourselves the same questions. But God will happily help us. He sent himself for that very purpose, the Holy Spirit. So let me just end this story I began with. I felt convicted by God as I used this story of my former youth pastor that I interned under I started using that as an example in my sermon and felt God going, you need to actually talk to him. You've been putting that off for a really long time. And I'm like, oh, don't want to. So 
I made a half attempt to reach out to him and did the most covert thing I could think of, which was send him a Facebook messenger message, a private message. And he called me within seconds. Ugh. So I waited till the last second, didn't answer, and then called him back. Just admitting in front of you all. But I did call him back, and we had a great conversation. And I wanted to know what happened because I was curious, but I also really cared about this guy. I just wanted to make sure he was all right, walking with the Lord. And I found out, and I don't need to go into details because it's not the point, but he was dealing with an addiction in his life very privately. And it wasn't going well. And so he actually stepped down and very purposely to shield the church from a lot of heartache and pain, wanted to go and deal with the gap between his public and private life, deal with that addiction without the distraction of the the ministry that he was trying to lead. And so I'm actually really proud of him for that. And I told him that. And he's found a lot of healing and restoration, and he's following after Jesus still, and he has three boys and a healthy marriage. And I was able to forgive him and and thank him for the influence he had on my life and, and encourage him a little bit. But doing this, closing the gap between your public and private life is really tough. But believe me, believe me, through this guy, it, it's worth it. The reason, though, the gap widened in this guy's life is partly because he felt trapped and alone. What will people think? Will I get fired? Who can I trust? And isn't that you and me? It doesn't have to be, though. Bring it into the light. Find healing. Jesus is with you, and he will strengthen you to start dealing with whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, that gap between your public and private life. And by his strength and in his grace, I urge you to take that first step toward freedom this week. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the spirit to help us do hard things like own the gap between our public and private life. So I pray that we would stop denying it and start dealing with it, Lord. And as we do that, we would find freedom. I, I just talked about a first step, and I could stand here and give you lots of ways to take a first step. But Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would take over from here in people's lives. And that, that you would just show them what that is, what that would look like to take a first step towards dealing with, with some of that stuff that we know we're not consistent on. We know, and you actually know as well. And so I pray that we would find that, that you're, you really aren't scared of that. And you actually welcome us to come to you, the fountain of living water, of true joy and peace, and of freedom and healing, and pray that we would find you to be the great healer of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Will you guys stand and sing this with us?